2: And I'm Jan Westmark, and you are listening to the special monthly Sidelines Magazine episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for January 5th, episode 3093. Sidelines is the magazine for horse people, about horse people. Good morning, Horse World.
3: Thank you for tuning in this morning. This Sidelines Magazine episode comes to you the first Thursday of every month. This month's episode is brought to you by Gulf Coast Classic Horse Shows and Melissa Fuller Photography.
2: Hi, Ruby. I'm so excited that you are filling in for Brittany today. Um, for those of you who have not, never met Ruby, she works for Sidelines. She is a dressage rider. Um, she has a horse named Carl. Yes. She uh it does our social media for sidelines she's a writer you do pretty much anything we need you to do which is wonderful yeah and i love
3: it because you're the best person to work for
2: oh yeah i love that too so um over christmas i want to just this is our uh, first episode back in the new year so i just wanted to talk about what we both did over the holidays so i my husband jerry and i went to um europe we went to see my daughter abby who lives in um, England. We went to London and Paris and Oxford and the Yorkshire country, which was all fun and wonderful. But I think you might've had more excitement than I did because you, did you really play a little elf for Santa?
3: I did. So in horses, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to pay off those vet bills. And I got a little gig at the mall dressed as an elf, taking (laughs) photos of kids with Santa Claus. And let me tell you that it was the most entertaining photography experience I have ever had. If you think taking pictures of horses is difficult, try taking pictures of kids who are sitting on a stranger's lap and they don't know what's going on.
2: And they're Uh, scared of Santa.
3: They're scared of Santa and they're squirmy. Or... You know, you get the kids that are really excited and they start asking you questions and you're like, what do I say?
2: And, (laughs) oh, it was just so much fun. Did you have any kids that just screamed and ran away?
3: Oh, yeah. We had screamers. We had kickers um, throw on the floor, get upset. We had the parents, I'll buy you an ice cream if you smile. And (laughs) I love that the best kid he comes up he was so excited to see santa and he sits on santa's knee and santa you know what do you want for christmas and he says i want to go through the car
2: wash (laughs) (laughs) what kids are so funny i love it that's crazy well Um, yeah we had a great time in england but i think your um your experience trumps mine (laughs) i don't know about that i think oxford and your trip and you went to paris too When we were in Europe, we went to the London International Horse Show. It was really a wonderful experience. It was kind of like the horse shows here, um, but it was inside a giant building. Um, But the best part was our trying to get there. So we were in the middle of um, London, kind of near Westminster Abbey and Big Ben, and we knew that the direction said to take a boat down the thames river so we got down there and they only had an uber boat which i didn't know they had uber boats um so we got on this uber boat and we went down the river it probably took like a half an hour and they told us when we got off before we got on the boat the guys told us when we get off we're going to get off on the wrong side of the river you're gonna have to take the sky lift over the river so we get off and it's already dark because it's like five 30 or six o'clock at night. We get off and it's dark. We don't know where we are. We finally see the sky lift. We get on the sky lift. And it's one of those sky lifts. You know, like when you're going snow skiing, those little glass boxes that take you up. Um, <laughs> yeah. Was it well, it wasn't a chairlift. It was actually like a little glass box. We get in it and it goes straight up. It goes over the river, but like so high it's not even funny. So we go way, way up and we can see everything down there. And then we come way down. And of course, I don't like heights, so yeah, I was a little terrified. So we get down to the bottom, we get off the sky lift and then we have to walk. Eh, not too far, but it was dark <laughs> and scary. And we finally get to the, um, it was called the Excel center. We go to the horse show. The horse show was great. They have incredible, um, you know how like we have shopping, like a Land Rover uh, three-day event in Kentucky. They have incredible shopping there. Uh, it was all indoors. And then at the end, we go to leave and we talked to like a security guard because we had no idea how to get back to the middle of uh, London. And he told us to take a train they were having train strikes that weekend, but he told us which train to take. And it was like one of those really fast trains. Uh, So we finally got home. Oh, then we got off the train and then we had to take the underground. So we felt it was like our planes, trains and automobile experience of just trying to get to the horse show and back, but it was very fun. Yes. That is my favorite movie. I love that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do, too. So also, I forgot to mention that Ruby, the um, American Horse Publications, uh, which is a giant group that all the horse magazines belong to. You were the 2020 student winter winner of uh, that year. And we're just really proud of you. And yeah. I met can I tell the story about how I met you in Albuquerque? Yeah, that's how we got connected actually. <laughs> yeah, we were in Albuquerque at the American Horse Publications uh conference. And they do this little speed networking thing. It's kind of like speed dating, but like um the the people's like all the editors sit at um little tables and then the people that want to be writers come through and spend like five minutes with them and you didn't come through. Um, and I saw you out in the hall afterwards and I said, oh, congratulations on being a student winner and being here. Uh, why didn't you come through my little table at the speed of networking? And you said, oh, I didn't know what it was. And I was like, so I explained it to you. And I said, well, maybe you could um, still send me some information and be a writer for sidelines. And your mom was standing next to you and she burst into tears like she just started crying and you were trying to be all perfect professional so you were like mom Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you were trying to make her stop oh my gosh it was so funny but anyway fast forward you sent me a story I liked it you started writing for us now you actually are an award-winning writer because your stories have won awards so congratulations and thanks for being part of sidelines oh you're gonna make me cry oh my goodness don't be like your mom Oh, I know
3: well see where I get it from
2: that's true (laughs) All right. Well, I'm glad you're here today to uh, host this episode with me.
3: This month, get to know Cassie Cayley, who is featured on the cover of our 2023 January issue of Sidelines Magazine. Cassie has an incredible story that is sure to inspire you. Almost one year ago, Cassie suffered a traumatic brain injury after a riding accident at Hitz Ocala. She spent 18 days in a coma. But after several months of rehab, she is riding again with goals of returning to the show ring someday. Hi, Cassie. How are you? It's so great to have you on the podcast today. I really enjoyed talking to you when I interviewed for your cover story this January. And we're so excited to talk to you and share with our podcast listeners a little bit
4: more about you and your story. Hi, Ruby. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And the story was great. So I really appreciate you um, writing it and telling it was such, yeah, but it was really nice to see. So thank you.
3: And the photos were awesome, too. We love the cover photo. It was just
4: gorgeous. Yeah. Adrian did a really nice job. That was, that was fun. It was freezing. I was uh, so I, cold. I could tell <laughs> it, was it was freezing
2: because I had the, all the other photos that didn't appear and all your assistants were bundled
4: up like hat on, hats yeah, and gloves and giant coats. And I was like, oh, poor Cassie. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, try to look normal and yeah, not I, totally I, You did a great job because so you didn't
2: look cold. So, uh, but I was cracking up that they were all bundled up and you were there like in your Nice, pretty dress. Yeah. <laughs> <Her> dress, yeah. <laughs> no,
3: sleeves, no nothing. Yeah. <laughs> no nothing. <laughs> All right. Oh, so goodness. we'll jump right in. Um, we know you grew up kind of in the Pacific Northwest, um, part of your mother's sales business. Um, what was that like growing up, you know, in the horse industry from the very beginning? And I know your mother's business was named after your first act horse.
4: Yes. Uh, Silver Fox. Yeah. Um, he i got him when i was 10 years old and uh he really yeah he just got me started in the industry and and i learned so much about you know looking after horses and just being in the barn every day and um you know he was a quirky quirky guy so you know he uh he uh learned i learned how to trailer and load him properly on there cuz he didn't like to trailer when i first got him so we figured out how to load him and stick to his, his uh, routine. And he ended up yeah, loading no problem and mm-hmm. uh, everything from just simple things like that to riding, you know, he got funny with, with certain things when you're riding and yeah, he taught me a lot about, you know, the horses in the industry and how to deal with things their way. Um, but then, yeah, working for my mom, it was, Pretty incredible. Um, she had a pretty big business. Um, there was usually customers um, every day out to try horses. And I learned uh, and met so many people that came in to try horses for sale. And I got to ride and kind of be right in there with every all the action. And um, a few of them, you know, trained me and taught me some lessons while they were there. And it was just incredible to... You know learn from so many people and meet so many people um so yeah it's definitely not something I would ever want to want to trade it was an amazing um childhood really um I mm-hmm. got to spend lots of time with my mom and and uh I think we were pretty close right from the get-go because of that so it was uh it was nice
3: Absolutely. And I know you had success um, in your junior career in the equitation ring, and you actually made it to the McClay finals, which I believe that year was still in New York. And I know in your story, you said that was the first time you had been to a horse show on the East Coast, and that kind of changed your outlook on the industry and the opportunities that could be available to you. Talk about that experience, getting out of your little Pacific Northwest bubble and then
4: coming to, to New York. Oh my gosh. It was such an eye opener. Um, you know, I was fortunate to have Thunderbird show park and Milner downs just down the road from us. Um, but I really only showed there. I'd never gotten out and about and I didn't realize just how big the industry was. Um, Mm -hmm. and when I got to go there and I got to see, you know, 230 horses in the medal finals and 150 in the clay finals, it was just absolutely astounding to me. Um, but I really knew I wanted to learn more and just be a part of it um, as much as I could. And uh, so, yeah, th- uh, when I actually went um, my first time, the horse that I qualified on, he ended up getting leased. And um, so I didn't have a horse right after the mcclay finals. And uh, I was, we were not too sure like how we were going to get there, what horse we were going to have. And um the nice thing about the horse industry, it's so close-knit and everybody is, you know, so helpful that um, actually uh, Bobby Reber and Gary Duffy arranged for me to go ride with um, Missy Clark and John Brennan of Northrun. And I got to go and ride a horse for them and just experience that side of it. And then actually there is where I met uh, Jim Hagman. And I spent my last junior year with Jim Hagman after that. and um, That was the most amazing moment, you know, I could really, even today, he's still a big part of my life and, and, uh, really someone that I look up to. So that it's nice to, you know, from, you know, early on, I got to meet so many people and they led me to, um, people in my life that really had such an influence. So it's, it's nice to see how the industry can work together like that.
3: Certainly. And from there, I know you got connected with Emil at Redfield Farms in New Jersey and also Ocala. You had a stellar career. You became kind of the head rider, did the Grand Prix. This was something that was new to you. You'd only kind of done the hunters and equitation before, got into the Grand Prix jumper ring. And then in January of 2022, you had an accident. Um, You call it a blip in your memory. I know you were in a coma for 18 days. When you woke up, how did you process what had happened?
4: Um, yeah, that was a, a tough time. I um, I remember waking up, or, okay, my memories are a little bit fuzzy there, but I remember the first memory I have was um, my mom was there, and I had asked her, like, what happened, what was going on, and she explained a little bit of the accident and the horse that happened on. And really, the only thing I remember was just feeling so sad that it happened on that horse because she was one I was very fond, you know, very fond of. I still am a big fan of hers. Um, mm-hmm. She really was a good horse, and I just was so sad that it happened to her. Um, so uh, it's nice to see that you know she's doing well and and carried on, but. Yeah, it was uh, that was probably I think the most that I felt when I heard about it. It wasn't so much for me. I was just thinking about her. I was like, oh my goodness, this is you know, really difficult for her because she was a special horse. So <clears throat> um but I don't think it really um hit me the extent of the accident, like like how long the recovery would be and what I was in store for. Um I was more just, you know, kind of not totally understanding all of it. And uh, that didn't really hit me until a little, you know, a few months later. I was like, all right, this is a lot longer than I was thinking.
2: <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I can't even imagine what you were thinking. But then I know you went through a yeah. lot of rehabilitation. You had a um, a special therapist that really helped you. Uh, what was that like?
4: Yeah, um, you know, when I was... You know, first released from the hospital in Atlanta, and I was um, allowed to come back to New Jersey and and kind of live more of a normal life. I um, I was so sure I didn't need therapy. You know, I would just work in the barn and you know <laughs> get my my strength back that way. And um, then they insisted I go to therapy, so that I ended up going. I went to um, Kessler Reha- Rehabilitation in Flanders, New Jersey, and that was 15 minutes from us. So it was uh-huh. really close and really easy to commute, commute to. Um, and there I met uh, my physical therapist, Peter, and he, you know, I really thought it would be more of the, you know, learning how to, you know, stand up and walk and just, kind of the almost like gym exercises, like work on the strength and lift the weights. And I was just like, I don't want to do that, you know? And so it was so nice that Peter actually found ways to use the gym um, equipment to simulate getting back on a horse. And um, there was more and more exercises that kind of simulated being back in the barn and things I had to do so it was easy to resonate with them and um, really I think the reason why I was able to ride as soon as I was was because Pete had set up you know um, like the bolster between the chairs and I had to sit on it and keep my feet off the ground and hold my balance and lean over and and uh, do a lot of things that would simulate being back on a horse. And um, that gave me the confidence to then, you know, think about getting back on. And actually the hardest part I thought about getting back on was getting on and off. Um, I thought, you know, with the exercises we were doing, I was like, I think I can hold my balance once I'm on. But getting on and off was going to be something I was going to struggle with. Like I didn't know how I was going to do that. And so actually my mom gave me the idea and she came in and we were teaching Pete how to give me a leg up. (laughs) And, uh, we did that, I think three or four sessions where, you know, he would leg me up and I have to swing my leg over and then go back down and hold my balance and, you know, use the muscles in my arm to, you know, hold myself up. And, uh, yeah, a few sessions of doing that, and I was like, okay, I think I can get on. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was able to get on, and luckily, yeah, once I was on, I I um, was able to hold my balance, and it was uh, it was pretty amazing. So I'm definitely grateful to him and how he was able to help me, and and uh, we're still, you know, we talk and and uh, we're still friends. So it's nice to have someone like that um in my life and help me through this you know this process so
3: yeah you had mentioned how your rehabilitation group kind of became like family to you cuz you'd see them so many times a week and um our listeners and maybe Jan might not even know this but when i interviewed you for the story that was your last day of rehab oh,
0: and i could was. really
3: hear the emotion in your voice talking about you know, saying goodbye to them since it had been several months
4: going there. Yeah, no, for sure. I um, I really didn't think that I would ever get, like, emotional about Leaving, you know, when I uh, when I first started there, I was like, oh, you know, it kind of feels like going back to school. Like I have to go three days a week, and you know, some of it gave me some homework to do at home, and I was like, geez, I feel like I'm back in school. And uh, but then, yeah, three days a week for I think I was there for six months, seven months. I can't remember the exact length of time, but it was long enough. That is a um, long time. It's a long time, and yeah, I definitely got pretty close with a lot of them, so it was a a strange feeling to have to say goodbye and kind of move on from that.
2: Well, I know you became family with them, but you certainly have a giant family and group of people in our equestrian community, and they supported you, and they still are. What does that mean to you?
4: Oh, my gosh. I just don't even know... I still like, I think about it and I get a little bit choked up. Like it's amazing what the support was able to do for me. Um, You know, the calls and the texts and the messages and the, um, the gifts and the flowers that were sent to me. I mean, it's a really kind of a dark, lonely place in the hospital. And it, you know, I would always tell my mom, okay, I'm not allowed to be alone with my own thoughts because (laughs) you never know where those are going to go. And, um, But every day I had more support and more calls and people, you know, reaching out. And it just, it was totally changed my whole atmosphere in the, um, in the hospital room. And um, it's, yeah, I just, I don't think I could have made it, you know, as I couldn't have been as um, positive and as, you know, um, hopeful as I was without them. And... It's really incredible, the support.
2: Well, your story is really incredible. And I just hope that anyone who hasn't read it, um, Cassie's on the cover of the January issue of Silence, uh, Sidelines, that you need to go and read her story. Um, It's you really are just incredible. Um, So where are you now in your writing and, and your career? What are you what are your plans for the future?
4: Well, I'm not really ready to give up, um, my riding goals and, and, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't really want to give up on that. So I'm going to keep working and, you know, totally try to exhaust every avenue and get back into the ring. I would love to get back to jumping at Grand Prix and, and doing what I used to do. I'd love to make that full recovery, mm-hmm. um, but in the meantime, I've been doing a little bit of teaching and training, um, just trying to, any way I can, be in the ring and be around the horses and in that um, environment that I'm so, yeah, it's been a part of my life, my whole life. So, um, just get back to a little normality and and um,
2: and go from there.
4: But, yeah. yeah.
2: The, the one day I did talk to you said you had jumped that day for the first time. Um, yeah. Are you still jumping? Are you jump just jumping low?
4: Yes, just doing rails and little Um Really, the one thing that has been unexpected is I had a hard time focusing on one spot. Um, mm-hmm. Like it, it's gotten better now, but at first, even though. My head was still I felt like I was nodding my head up and down like that was what it looked like in my eyes, and so focusing on one spot was really difficult um and even though my head was still and straight, I still felt like I was nodding my head. it was bizarre, um but that's luckily that's gotten gotten a lot better, and um yeah, they thought it was just my brain and adjusting to the movement again and and trying to get used to it so um, that's gotten better, but I still I don't see a distance like I used to. <laughs> um, I trying to see my spots is yeah not happening. So like a stride or two out, I have an idea of where I am. Um, but yeah, I I don't quite see anything. So I'm really hoping that with a little time it'll come back. But it's a, it's a different feeling for sure.
2: Oh, I bet. Well, we hope also that it comes back and that you are back in the Grand Prix ring eventually. Um, You've made an incredible recovery, and I know it's still a long road ahead of you, but we wish you all the best, and we certainly thank you for being um, on the cover. Uh, We were so touched by all the comments on social media that everybody had to say about your story. Uh, People love you, and I do agree that uh, the community out there Supporting you is wonderful, and I just want to thank you for uh, being part of Sidelines.
4: Oh, thank you so much for allowing me to be part of Sidelines. It's really amazing. So, yeah, thank you very much.
2: Next up, we have Janet McCarroll of Gulf Coast Classic Horse Shows. Hi, Janet. I'm so happy to have you here today. Tell us about the Gulf Coast Classic Horse Shows. Well, our Gulf Coast Winter Classics
1: are just wonderful shows. Um, it's kind of funny we started as like an alternative circuit just to create something smaller more personal and smaller like seven to eight hundred horses as opposed to like thirty five hundred at other circuits Mm -hmm. because we wanted to focus on customer service and it must have worked for us because this is our 25th anniversary this year and we have so many people that have been coming the whole 25 years and we always have a good crowd so we just Ah. we love it and We stay at the Harrison County Fairgrounds for the whole six weeks, and it's a fabulous equestrian facility, and we have the best grass gramping field in North America, we think anyway.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. I always hear amazing things about the show in Mississippi, and, of course, um, you work with Bob Bell. I guess he's your partner, and, of course, we love him because he also owns Sidelines Magazine. (laughs) I'm telling you, he's the best partner
1: to have when you're in business. He's the greatest (laughs)
2: Ah, <laughs> oh, well, good. I, I, you're not the only one that says that. Everybody says that about him. Um, so, what you So, in addition to Mississippi, where else will um, the uh, classic horse shows be this year?
1: Well, these are Gulf Coast Classic Company horse shows, and then our sister company, the Classic Company, at the very the same week we leave Gulfport. The, I think. There are shows that start in Ocala and I can't remember if they're two to three weeks because I don't usually go to those because I stay back and clean up the golf shows and also a really beautiful show in the fall in Aiken.
2: Ah, okay, perfect. And I know that people rave about the uh, classic course shows um, from the, the free Grand Prix. Do you still have that? We
1: do. We love our free Grand
2: Prix. It's a Grand Prix deal.
1: So the deal is if you pay, And if you enter and pay your entry fee for the welcome, you get the Grand Prix for free. And you don't even have to do the welcome if you don't want to. Or you can do both. It's whatever. But we just ask you to enter and pay, and then the Grand Prix's free.
2: That's amazing.
1: We've gotten a lot more Grand Prix horses because of it, because people really like it. And if you could see the grass Grand Prix field, even some of the course designers that are best in the country said it's amazing. And they love to ride on it. It's beautiful, and we work really hard to keep it pristine and perfect.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, And what about the, what else do you have for the the spectators and the competitors?
1: Well, for the competitors, we have all kinds of things. I mean, obviously I believe we have really nice horse shows and we do focus on customer service and making sure that you're having a, a nice time and that our horse shows are good. But we have like for the hunters, we have those Marshall and Sterling classics that are kind of something we thought of where we offer, it's open to everybody, but we offer non-pro bonuses. So the top three scoring non-pros in the Classic also get prize money and ribbons. So that takes away that thing Well, the amateurs can't beat the professionals, which we all know they can, but it does help them and give them their separate space. And that's in the Marshall and Sterling, which are done at all Gulf Coast Classic and Classic Company horse shows with the big finale of that every fall in Aiken, where they go and they get to do a big championship class for the Marshall and Sterling Derbies. And then we also have lots of, so we're known for our social events. There's one every Friday evening of some sort, whether it's a wine and cheese party on the front porch, or big Italian dinners, or all kinds of things with live entertainment. So uh, if anybody's interested, our social calendars and our prize list at uh, Gulf Coast Classic companycom But we do have a lot of we do have a lot of nice things. And I'll tell you the other thing we have. Um, we're a local favorite. We have more people that come and watch our Grand prix every Sunday afternoon. And it, it just ups that dynamic that you actually have spectators. And we have, and sometimes we run out of parking. <laughs> we that's get so awesome. Many. Yeah, it's it awesome. Wow. It is, and we love it. We offer it free to the public, and they just flood out there, and they love it. And, they, you know, they have their favorite riders and favorite horses, and It just it just makes the whole thing feel how we want it to feel, which is very open and welcoming and friendly. And, you know, that was kind of always our our deal. That's what we wanted to do.
2: That's amazing. Well, I want everybody to know that the Mississippi Gulf Coast uh, shows were on February 15th to March 26th, 2023. And where do they go to find out more? Gulf Coast Classic Company dot com.
3: If you enjoy the interviews on this podcast, you'll love a subscription to Sidelines Magazine. Each monthly issue is filled with inspirational and interesting stories of equestrians from all different English disciplines, along with incredible photography, equine artists, young writers, charities, and more. As a special for podcast listeners, you can get an entire year of Sidelines delivered right to your mailbox for just $7.48. That's less than lunch, and you'll enjoy some good reads all year long. Go to sidelinesmagazine.com and click subscribe options under subscriptions and enter the code HRN to get your exclusive half off price.
2: Our next guest, Katie Jackson, who's featured in our January issue, joins us to share her inspiring story of returning to the show ring after a leg amputation. A dentist by profession and a dressage enthusiast, Katie has found success riding again in para dressage and in the FEI ring with her horses Scrabble and Atlas. Hi, Katie. We are so excited to have you on the Sidelines podcast today. We had a great story about you in the January issue, and Ruby and I are just really um, looking forward to talking to you.
0: Well, hi there. I am super excited to be here and can't wait to talk to you as well.
2: So I know you're in Texas right now, and but you're headed to Wellington for circuit. Uh, what horses do you already have over there in Wellington?
0: So I have uh, both Scrabble, who's my 16-year-old FEI horse, and Atlas, who is, gosh, is he 12 this year? I'm losing track of time, but, um, and he is hopefully going to be my para-horse. So I've got both of them there uh, and looking forward to a fun season. I can't believe it's the beginning of January. Here we go. I know. Now,
2: did we have those, both of those horses in the pictures that are in the story? Yes. 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 So both of those
0: so. um, are the boys that are in the, in the pictures. So the darker Brown, really tall one um, with the little snip on his nose is Atlas. And then um, the, the solid bay is Scrabble.
2: Okay. Well, well everybody needs to go get the January issue and look for Katie's photos because they're not only sunning, but, um, uh, Christy Shulton from Texas took them. Our sidelines photographer, yeah. um, but the your horses are just beautiful. Uh, so, Katie, Aww. it seems like you've been drawn to horses since childhood. Uh, tell us how your passion for horses and specifically dressage all developed.
0: Yeah, I I definitely have had the horse bug as as long back as I can remember. Um, it skipped my parents. I think it skipped a generation. But <laughs> both of my granddads we're farmers. So I grew up hearing about stories about farming and plowing the field with the horses in Nebraska. And um, my other granddad had a dairy farm in Wisconsin. So horses were a huge part of their lives and and livelihoods really. And so I think it skipped a generation and hit me hard because I, um, (laughs) boy, if there was a horse on TV, if there was a horse in a field, I wanted um, wanted to go meet that horse or watch it on the TV. So um, I've had the horse bug forever. uh, And I think it finally... Um, with begging and pleading, I finally got to get a riding lesson for my sixth birthday. And then, um, from there it was all over. So my, my granddad did, uh, get me my first mini horse. Actually, mm-hmm. we, we dabbled with it. he started, I think, thinking starting small, but, um, it quickly went to one that I could ride. Uh, and from there a little bit bigger one. And, um, that second pony was my introduction to dressage. Um, for better or worse, she was the, uh, chestnut mare and a pony. So all, all three. And she, <laughs> she decided when we were done with our ride and would quickly take me out of the arena and back to the barn. Um, so a family <laughs> friend came to, came to my aid and, uh, she was a dressage rider and that was kind of how I got introduced to the sport.
2: when you said, but when they, the horse bug hits you, that's about all that, that there's nothing you can do about it. And I think probably all the listeners can relate to that also, because I think it's true. Uh, happened for me and Ruby. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm so interested that you um, were a writer and then you went to college to become a dentist. I'm just impressed by that. So tell us, how did that happen? What What sparked your interest in dentistry?
0: Well, so it was as I was deciding to go to college, I actually strongly considered going to uh, a university that had an equestrian team. And I don't know that I've really ever shared that. And that was something I was really wanting at that point, thinking I wanted to kind of go down the young rider path with the horse I had at that point, um, and was thinking about having horses and kind of making that my career. Um, And then kind of as I was looking and and talking with people and and exploring both options, um, I had two close family friends um, whose dads were dentists and and their families were um, in the business. And Kind of the more I learned about that and, and really was exploring other areas of healthcare, um, I decided that I, I wanted to do something in healthcare and that uh, even though horses were my passion, and ironically, I've kind of come full circle to where I spend the majority of my time doing horsey stuff again. Um, I loved healthcare. I love the idea of helping someone and, and being involved in, in their health. And so that's where I um, went with my education.
2: You uh, went to dental school, you got your career started, you got married, you returned to the show ring and everything seemed perfect until it wasn't when you noticed something wasn't right with your leg. And let's just um, jump forward in case there's people listening that haven't read your story and seen your pictures, but you you did have your leg amputated. Um, so let's talk about what happened there, but then also talk about how that's going to, how that has affected your riding, um, where you ride both. Um, as a para-dressage rider and as a a regular dressage
0: rider. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, things were kind of on, on the trajectory for uh, I got back into horses after finishing my dental training. Uh, I worked as an associate for a few years and then started my own private practice. So um, I was growing the practice. Things were going, growing of those paths uh, but I'd say it was probably a year before my diagnosis I started noticing some pain in my right knee um, more so and kind of continuing from being just an ache to uh, a limited range of motion Uh, at one point I actually started to feel kind of what felt like a hard marble behind my knee um, and it took actually getting a, a wrong diagnosis first and then kind of realizing something was still not right. And, and it's just, this is, this needs to be uh, fixed one way or another. I was limping. I was having a lot of pain. Um, I've gotten to a point where I wasn't able to work out or do anything without an excruciating amount of pain in that knee. Um, so went for a second opinion and that's when we found the cancer um, in a tumor that was behind my right knee. So the amputation took place in 2015, um, in August. And from there, uh, yeah, things kind of literally felt like my world got turned upside down and, um, I was just kind of grasping at things to, to try to, to find a new sense of, of normal and a new sense of, um, who I was and, and learn, you know, where, where I was with this current body that I, I now needed to figure out how to walk again. And, um, for me, most important, how to ride again, and that's where, um, you know, it's it's evolved into getting back in the saddle and um, challenging myself and my body to, to ride again as an amputee. I think it was a huge help to know, um, be familiar in the saddle and, and know what I did about dressage before that. Um, right. And then, you know, on, on the dental side of things, I had an amazing associate and good friend who kind of carried carried my practice through for those first few months um, as I was just in re- rehab and getting getting ready to have my first prosthesis and getting, you know, getting myself healthy enough to, you know, even kind of spend any time at, at the practice. And And as we were kind of transitioning from that, realizing that, um, you know, I was still at a place that I really wasn't even walking without uh, a walker at that point or kind of transitioning to crutches and, and a cane, um, but was really not in a place that I could take care of, take care of anybody. I was working really hard on taking care of myself. So yeah. uh, that's how things evolved on the dental side of it to having two associate doctors. I found an amazing doctor and Mary Kate Peters who took over my patient care hours and Um, I mean, she's, we joke that she's, she's my sister in a lot of ways. I mean, we practice really similarly and it was about the smoothest transition I could have hoped for. So it was, it was meant to be to, to step away from clinical practice and, and be on the management side and, um, you know, has, has just worked out really well to allow me the flexibility to, to pursue more in the riding side of things and, and to really, you know push myself and, and see see where I can take things as a rider.
3: So um, you talk about this group, this therapeutic riding group. The acronym, I believe, is HELP. Um, so I know earlier on you decided to make a goal of riding again. How did this group help you and guide you to learn to ride again, kind of in this new um, situation that you have?
0: It was it was such a wonderful transition. So help is the horse empowered learning program of Austin. And it's a therapeutic riding center here uh, in the Austin area. And as I was looking to get back on um, as much as I was ready to be on a horse, there was, there was quite a bit of anxiety and, and a lot of unknown of what was it going to be like to be on the horse? Where was my balance point going to be? Could I, could I even do this? And, Uh, of course I wanted to make sure that I did it safely for myself and, and the horses. And so Mm -hmm. I had reached out to, uh, Stephanie, who's a director of help and kind of told her my situation and she was wonderful. I mean, she felt, she welcomed me into their program with, with open arms and was willing to kind of think outside the box from more of your traditional therapeutic riding program lessons to help me with kind of my specific needs and, um, it was great. We met up with her and she introduced me to a wonderful quarter horse named Regal and he, you know, being, being a therapeutic riding horse they are I mean, they're just some of the most special horses on this earth. I mean, what they understand and and their patience and what they're, um, able to allow us to do is, is pretty incredible. And they're, you know, they're used to having wheelchairs or crutches or all the, the things around them that, um, you know, I needed to have with me and they're used to the mounting process being more than just putting your foot in the stirrup and throwing a leg over and off you go. So they're, you know, they're patient and and they're, they're safe for that. So help was, was incredible. So I was, I was there for, um, a number of lessons to just figure out what was going to be the best way to ride, whether I wanted to have a prosthesis on or not, which I ended up, um, I get on with my with my prosthesis so that I can use my left leg and, and put it in the stirrup, and I'll swing my leg over, and then I actually take the prosthesis off. Um. It's an incredible, incredible piece of equipment for walking and, and the technology in it. I, I say my leg is smarter than me at this point with all that it does and everything <laughs> that it knows to keep me keep me walking and safe. But um, it's just not, you know, the angles that it aligns to and just the weight of it and um, the rigidity of the socket part, which is essentially like a big suction cup that holds onto the top of my leg. Um, it's just not comfortable for me to ride in. So I actually take it off and then use uh, a Velcro strap over the residual limb for a little bit of extra stability um, and off I go. So that's kind of some of what we worked through and what was awesome to be able to do with HELPS assistance so that I could feel comfortable and confident then kind of transitioning back to, Um, the dressage horses and, you know, also making sure that they felt comfortable with me too, and that I had enough balance.
3: So in one of the photos you're riding without your prosthesis. So I understand, you know, the horses, they each kind of have a way of communicating with you and you have to learn each new horse in a different way. Um, probably, I mean, it's always difficult to, to make a new bond with a new horse, but, um. So riding with the, without the prosthesis is more comfortable for you and for the horse. You found
0: it is. Um, you know the the my leg is amputated about three inches above the knee, so I don't have a lot there as far as giving a cue, but just having that contact with the saddle and in some ways that little bit of movement. Um, if I squeeze the the thigh a little bit, they will they will actually get sensitive enough that they will feel those changes. Um, and then mm-hmm. really, just the hindrance of having this contraption kind of strapped onto my my leg and that it can potentially bounce um or be, you know, kicking the horse or doing something that I don't mm-hmm. want it to do. and then, um, also kind of in the back of my mind is always the worry of if there was an unexpected dismount, um, having even, you know, even with the safety precautions that we take with, you know, Velcro releases and, and rubber bands and things to hopefully make sure that you break free, um, mm-hmm. even just landing on a carbon fiber socket at the wrong angle. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't sound fun. And one of my, um, physical therapists, as I was learning to walk again, was actually a Paralympic uh, cyclist. And so he had it, while it's a different saddle being in the saddle and, and a lot of, you know, even teammates, he was in, uh, the Sydney Olympics, um, know, saying that just being strapped in and having that and, and seeing people with dislocated femurs and shattered pelvises, none of that sounded very fun to me. Mm. So, um, I like the, the stability of just having that little strap that kind of helps if there is any kind of, um, little bit more, of a, a wild vertical vertical uh jump or something like that. It's it kind of acts like a seat belt in that way and just stabilizes what is part of my leg that's there. Um and then I've kind of been able to find find my balance in my seat. And the horses are amazing and that how they will come to understand. Um, and it's you know they they kind of have to learn a new language for the same you know that it's the same movements but a little different aids in some ways because they're not mm-hmm. supported by that right leg or you know what would be the right leg supporting for um a half pass or a canner depart or a flying change it's, it's not there so they they mm-hmm. do have to have that patience and willingness to say okay I'm you know I'm going to try is that what you want is that what you want
3: That's fantastic. Super interesting too. Um, So in your journey, you've already had some fantastic experiences. You did a demonstration at the World Cup in Omaha. Uh, You were first alternates for the World Equestrian Games at Tryon. Just talk a little bit about what these achievements mean to you and then also your goals for the future. I know you mentioned Paralympics, but you also want to do a Grand Prix. So just kind of tell us about what's ahead for you and and all that.
0: Sure. I and mean, obviously being a part of the teams and having an experience like getting to perform at the world cup. I mean, when you're in the moment and when you're there, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge honor and just an incredible experience. I mean, I've learned so much just um, being able to travel and, and go through the motions and, you know, get to be in an amazing arena with the big jumbotron, like they had in Omaha and, and be warming mm-hmm. up in the same arena with some of our, you know, just top riders of the world. I mean, it was in and of itself, just, I mean, just amazing memories and an incredible opportunity. Um, and, you know, kind of reflecting back on it as much as it's about the experiences itself, um, the journey and getting there and everybody that I've met and all of the people and the horses that have come into my life um, that have taken me to these places and to where I'm at now. I mean, that, that to me, I think, is what means the most at, at this point. And, and mm-hmm. even as that kind of where I've come as a person, you know, and, and how I've just grown as a rider and, and a person um, through those experiences and through challenging myself and, you know, and, and through the ups and downs, I mean, as much as those, those achievements are, you know, the highlights, as we all know, horses, horses can be, tough at times too and and they definitely mm-hmm. mold us and, and make us tougher in lots of ways to to deal with the challenges that we all face. Um so it's it's been an incredible journey and I'm excited for what the future holds too. Yeah, you mentioned I've got some some pretty lofty goals. So still gonna you know, be reaching towards the Paralympics. Um, you know, when when that comes into my world, I'm I'm going to be excited for it. You know, just kind of waiting waiting for the right timing with the right horse and and all of that to come along. I'm I'm excited to um, get back into the para competition, hopefully this season with Atlas and kind of see see where he takes me. And then um, I'm learning so much from Scrabble too, and it's been an amazing. Um, amazing challenge and an amazingly humbling challenge too to be learning, uh, to ride and compete at the FEI. And if I could do a Grand Prix at some point, um, yeah, that would be, that would be icing on the cake. So just, you know, pretty, pretty excited for, for the future and where, where it takes me with my riding. And, um, you know, personally too, I've got, got some fun things on the horizon, Um, with, we're, we're building a barn and, going to be coming back so I can do some of my training back in Texas for part of the year. So that's, um, kind of on my short term, short term goal. And then, um, you know, just looking forward to really challenging myself for my, as a rider and, and as a person to kind of be the best I can be at both.
3: That's fantastic. Well, we certainly look forward to seeing your success in the future. And especially this upcoming season, we hope to see your name at the top of those leaderboards. That's for sure. Oh,
0: thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much. Well, y'all support and thank you again for uh, having me as part of sidelines magazine. And I hope your readers enjoy the story. And I hope everybody's enjoyed getting to um, listen to our talk today.
2: If you are looking for beautiful and timeless photos of your family, horses, and dogs to cherish forever, then Melissa Fuller Photography is the perfect photographer for you. Melissa's photos are bright, fun, and natural, and Melissa loves connecting with her clients during photo shoots, explaining what will happen during the photo shoot, and even educating her clients on photography. Call Melissa Fuller now at 772-215-8682. To schedule a private photography session in Wellington or Ocala, Florida, Melissa is also available to travel to your location. Melissa Fuller Photography can be found at Instagram um, at MS Fuller Photography or on her website at MS or call her at 772 215 8682. Ruby I want to thank you for hosting this with me today I don't know about you but I was very inspired by Cassie and Katie absolutely
3: they're just incredible people to have in our industry and lights to look up to the challenges they've faced are unbelievable but to see their
2: triumph out of that is just very inspiring and it'll be sure to put a smile on your face I agree. Um, Sidelines can be found at sidelinesmagazine.com, where you can subscribe to the Sidelines Scoop and get every new issue in your email for free. Find the link to today's guests and the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. And you
3: can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Thanks to our sponsors, Gulf Coast Classic Horse Shows and Melissa Fuller Photography.
2: We'll see you on the sidelines.